This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. Every week, you and I hear of a new threat, a threat to our security, to our privacy, to our economy, even to ourselves. But surprisingly, members of the cybersecurity industry have said, not so fast. The White Hats are actually turning the tide and starting to win this battle. So I invited my buddy and returning guest, Jeremy Hale, to come on my show and discuss the current state of the cybersecurity war. How are we using artificial intelligence and machine learning to hunt down cyber criminals? He should know. He works for Sideris, one of the largest cybersecurity solutions providers in North America. And Jeremy, if you know Jeremy, is never at a loss of words. It's a very entertaining conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So join us on this week's episode of the QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data. How we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Three, two, one. Jeremy Hale, welcome to the QTS Experience again. Thank you. We lured you out here to the environs of Atlanta from the safe confines of Kansas. <laughs> That's funny. I do, I do like that there was like a little edge of Kansas there. But yeah, it's Kansas City. You yeah. know what? I'm, I've been, uh, I'm embarrassed to say. Yeah. Um, most of my previous visits to the great state of Kansas and Missouri, mm -hmm. that sort of Kansas City, Overland Park metropolitan area, um, I always went for business. Sure. Uh, that's what, what's always um, uh, brought me there. And um, the, I, and so I would just, you know, to the, whatever the training facility or the corporate offices and then to the hotel. And I didn't really get out and explore much. It may be going to a restaurant or something. Sure. And the last two times I got to explore more. When I was a kid, we used to drive to Iowa. Why anybody would go to Iowa, That's I don't pretty, know. That's a yeah, straight shot. Uh, right, but right. we'd go from Kansas up, I mean, uh, Texas up through Kansas over to Iowa. Sure. And all I remembered was flat wheat field with either a storm coming or well, a storm yeah. going. And now we've been there before, and it's a ridiculously pretty area. In that area that I'm talking about, rolling hills, lots of green. Beautiful, yeah. Not not really the level of greenery that you get here in the Appalachians, yeah. right? Yeah. Or those southern Appalachians. But right. like, like the thing that always strikes me about coming to Atlanta is the pines yeah. and just the quality of the air, yeah. even, even given the size of the metropolis, yeah. like yeah. downtown proper. But, but either way, yes, not much in in Kansas. Yeah. It's pretty flat. Yeah, you know, for a lot of people, it's a flyover. But there is a tremendous amount of beauty there as well. Yeah, you know? I think it's uh, it was unexpectedly pretty. Yeah, and also there's a lot of very wealthy people that live in the greater Kansas City area and yes. just to its na its neighbor to the just north Omaha. I was surprised. I mean, everybody knows Warren Buffett up there, but just mm -hmm. how many self made, wealthy, successful people. That's a great secret up there. Yeah, the Overland Park area is, and Kansas City, it has a lot of self-made, as right. you mentioned, yeah. organizations, companies that maybe, you know, I think there's just a Midwest sensibility to some of that Yeah, in terms of like the ability to build wealth, build business. Clearly the highest paid NFL quarterback in the league yes. lives in Kansas City, yeah. right? Yeah. And and uh, you can certainly recognize some of his entrepreneurial efforts yeah. as they start springing up around the city yeah. as well. But yeah, wonderful place to be. I'm very grateful to be back on the podcast. I've been following it very closely. All right. Uh, I think you guys are just really into some cool stuff and just happy to be sitting here talking with you, Dave. So thanks. Well, I appreciate it. So let's get 
right down to it. Okay. So Jeremy Hale. Yes. Cybersecurity guru, among other things. Yeah. I This seems like an area, it's almost like talking about AI or a couple other things. Like there's so many places we could go. But I guess my first question is, What's the state of the state? Like where? Yeah, where are things? That's at? that's good. We we can start there because it's yeah. gonna lead us. We're just gonna rabbit hole. We're gonna yeah. start doing things, yeah. right? But like, if we were to start state of the state in cybersecurity, I think that there's been a lot that's been kind of exacerbated or brought to a focal point for everyone, given geopolitical conflicts and things that are taking place right. currently, right? right. Uh, you've got this, well, you've got active wars taking place on Europe's Eastern Front, right? right? There's things that are taking place in Ukraine with Russia that maybe expose some sensitivity to how steadfast networks truly are right. and uh, the critical systems and infrastructure that are all tied to those networks right. and economic systems that are tied to those networks and how now data has suddenly become this thing that is effectively like the samurai sword of the 21st century. Mm. And the one that's going to wield that well is probably the one that wins mm -hmm. with some of these things. Mm -hmm. So we would be remiss to not talk about stuff that I think is like really impacting just the way that – like the European Union and the way that they're doubling down on not only military efforts mm. but also strengthening their posture and hardening their infrastructure and providing more gates and more checks and more visibility into data specifically because data is – well, it's everything. Well, it's the currency of the right. It's the commodity it's a, of the whole world right now. It's right? everything, right? It, and with the right data, you have the right keys, and with the right keys, you have access to right. portals, and right. portals lead us to you know right. sensitive bits. Right. So, so the idea is that like, and if there's one thing this podcast is about, it's the sensitive bits. Sensitive bits every time, <laughs> for sure. It really is. Yeah, All right, so you've got us, uh, you've got us curious and intrigued and a little scared. So not scared. Um, but, I mean, I wouldn't be scared. I would just say the state of the state it continues to be very promising if you're on the light side of things, or you're on the. What does that mean? Like the the, the defender side of things. There's this okay. whole. I mean, there's this social understanding of like malfeasance out there on the internet, right? right? Well, look, we just here in Atlanta anyway. We went through last year in the southeast the. Um, ransomware attack on the pipeline. Sure. And we've gone through... Solar winds. Log4j, right? Right. Just, I mean, pick these a... huge breaches. These big yeah. breaches. But yeah. but we've heard about breaches forever, but it's like the, um, I don't know, the, the casino that gets broken through the router and the aquarium. And that doesn't really impact me. Or no. maybe Brad Pitt to George Clooney, but it doesn't impact me. Or the, you know, I don't see an immediate impact maybe because some big retailer got broken in. And so we hear these things in general, but when I, you know, two thirds of the gas stations around me don't have fuel or they're restricting fuel or the prices have been ridiculous or whatever, right? Sure. This thing. So all of a sudden now, whoa, 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 whoa. And then of course we have the geopolitical conflict that you've talked about yeah. and you hear saber rattling of, Hey, you, you folks who may want to interfere with this, we've got the tools. I would attempt an accent, but I'd be horrible at it. No, but okay. we've got the tools to impact your infrastructure in a way. Don't make us push the, you know, the button or the script or whatever necessary to mess with you. And, you know, it's part of everyday conversation 
yeah. now, not just nerds like us. Well, I mean, I think it's a, I think that people, you know, you and I were talking about this before we kicked off the podcast, right? Yeah. Just in passing when I had gotten here, but like email compromise, people being jeopardized on a personal level, right? People putting faith in things that they do on a normal, you know, day-to-day activity. I'm opening an email. Oh, right. it looks like it came from Dave. Right. You know, boom, I get my systems are locked, right? Right. Uh, that that is still something that still happens with organizations. By the way, thank you for that enthusiasm to rush in and open an email, whether it real or imagined, from me. Yeah, it makes me feel good. You're welcome, and I would. Right, I appreciate. <laughs> I that. really would. I'd be like, that's great. Hey, Dave's. Right. Yeah, you know, Dave just hacked me. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> Dave. Dave. All, right, all right, but but the the idea is that there would be the idea that there is like some magic button that another nation state or an entity could press that would cause catastrophic failure of our infrastructure is kind of erroneous. It's it's not like they can't really do that. We're not watching the same movies then. They just, I mean, they can't really do that. It's really more like a denial of service attack that would take place. And okay. then they would execute something else when they're distracting us over here. So what's a denial of service attack? It's like where they take so much data and push it into the pipe that no more data can fit into the pipe. Okay. And so hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of individual nodes, computers, right. devices out there suddenly start sending packets, data across a line into a circuit and the connectivity to the outside web vaporizes. Right. You cannot any longer connect because all of your systems are attempting to try to compute all of these connections and all of the data that are flowing at it, right? right? Denial of service because it can't focus on anything but the constant stream or deluge of data that is going through the pipe towards it. Right. And generally, that's when the inside attacks take place. Hmm. They establish some type of connectivity or they execute rogue code internally on those systems while they do a distributed denial of service attack so as to distract you from what is actually taking place over here, mm -hmm. right? And then as soon as the denial of service attack is stopped, exfiltration takes place and that data starts flowing back out of the pipeline. That's probably more accurate in terms of what we would see. Or maybe, and if we're really getting into like conspiracy kind of stuff here, maybe the- Why not? I mean, maybe the the- nation states that would want to attack us without being specific, potentially have some type of manufacturing backdoor into the hardware that they've been generating mm. that is here in the US, or there's some unknown zero-day targeted exploit that maybe the US is walking around carrying in their pockets or something. Who knows, mm -hmm. right? If there's a kill switch or some type of backdoor into infrastructure that would allow them that kind of connectivity. But that's like, when you start talking about that and being a practitioner mm -hmm. and a defender, that stuff is very, very Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And frankly, most cybersecurity breaches are extremely boring and very, like meticulous, and they take a very, very long time. Mm. Now, I can't speak efficiently to the capabilities of nation states and their ability to attack one another from a cybersecurity perspective. Mm. But I can say that that probably starts to lean into supercomputing, mm. and that is a constant race between... China and the United States, right. and the way that they are continuously back and forth battling with one another for supercomputer supremacy. Mm -hmm. uh, there are probably tools in our arsenal, if it was to actually come to cyber warfare, that the world has not seen. I would not be surprised if there are also tools uh, in other nation states' arsenals that we have not seen. Mm. But uh, 
as far as like the state of the state goes, I think from a consumer perspective, things are getting better. Mm. You know, data, control, the way that organizations will by default protect themselves and then roll those tools down to the consumer level or to the individual is a very good thing, right? Yeah. And I think that that will continue to improve because they want adoption of a platform as opposed to potential compromise and having to constantly clean things up. Mm. So most, what you'll find is that most organizations that are bringing in large-scale swaths of users for something that is part of their normal daily life, like email, which is totally assumed, mm -hmm. right? People's like, well, I can sign up for a free email right. and do my thing. But like that, those kinds of protections, they don't want exposure so they take the very same tools that they develop to protect themselves internally mm -hmm. and move that out to the consumer base, mm. free or not, mm -hmm. right? Now, there's advanced protections you can pay for, and consumers at a higher level all aggregate and form businesses and create corporations and mm -hmm. do all these things. And you have small through enterprise entities that start spending money to protect their brand mm -hmm. the very same way that they would protect themselves as an entity. Mm -hmm. But- that is also starting to look up. Technology mm. is getting to the point where data is truly visible. There aren't really places to hide regarding process or ones and zeros or binaries and all of those things. So uh, as technology continues to advance, there will always be ways to uh, obfuscate yourself from detection of those controls mm -hmm. if you're an attacker uh, or bypass those controls entirely. But I just think that, you know, there's not – and very, very shortly, there will probably be no data that traverses a network giving technological advancements, whether it's an agent that resides on the device, mm -hmm. you know, software or hardware that resides in the network, where the optics are not all-encompassing, where we are not gathering all of the data, Right. And if you're looking at that exponential increase in what is produced just from humanity's sake, the amount of data that is generated and that that meteoric rise over the course of the last 10 years or so, mm -hmm. eventually it'll just all be tracked. And because it's all tracked, it's all live. Mm -hmm. Because we have the compute strength to sift through petabytes and exabytes and septabytes of data. Mm. Once we are there, right. Where do you go? How do you attack? But aren't, you know, on the one hand, well, that's encouraging, I guess. I take um, the optimist side. Yeah, of it. Uh, that's yeah. encouraging. I, I, Depending upon the day and the time, I feel pretty vulnerable. But you know what? So often. Yeah. What's the number one way you a computer, you get a computer that's not working right? Set aside cybersecurity for a moment. Sure. You think about something else. What's the first thing you do if your mobile device or your computer isn't really performing the way you want it. What's the restart? It. Restart, reboot, right? Yeah, yeah. that's a it's old IT desktop First support. Question. Everybody does right. Have reboot, yeah. clear <laughs> the cache. Here we go. Yeah. Um, what's the number one way people make them or businesses for that matter make themselves vulnerable, at least in my experience, around um, security? Like somebody can breach in. Instead of making it a trick question, I'll just tell you my experience. Please, please do. Yeah. They write, you know, you get these things. They write their passwords on the bottom of the Every keyboard. doggone yeah. time. Or the yeah. or the corporate version of that, right? <laughs> of, it's on the billboard. It's got, <laughs> it. you know, it's a strong password. It's got yeah. uppercase, lowercase, special characters. Totally. No, you know, completely random generated. And I wrote it with a Sharpie. Mm -hmm. And every month I changed the exclamation 
you know, exclamation 64 to exclamation 65, not getting me. Yeah. And they write it down or they put it in their email sure. or whatever it is. Store it in a password. And they file. call it. Yeah. They call it, <laughs> store it in a passwords file called yeah. passwords file. Yeah. And if they're really kind, they put in the date that they update it, not realizing that it stamps it That's in right. there anytime anyway. Yeah. And it just makes me rub my uh, temple. So I'm I'm just curious, you know, or or is is that still the norm? Is that the the reason why we are still vulnerable? Is we just leave stuff unlocked? How do we protect ourselves from ourselves? Well, I mean, it's like instilling that healthy sense of paranoia in a an organization or in an individual is often the result of having gone through some type of breach or event before or, or your children and that you've had to recover sure. for or whatever. Yeah. yeah, human error, not malicious, but human error is a constant battle and a right. struggle, something that will never be overcome. Right. Um, so you start getting into and this is where technology is really evolving to mitigate some of the risk of the human error mm-hmm. and just the human experience generally with cybersecurity is like putting in things like zero trust architecture. So stop right there. What is, yeah. is we have a wide ranging eclectic audience. What does that mean? Zero trust architecture where nothing and no one and no connection is trusted without the proper authentication steps to access the data. So you go to your front door at home. Yeah. And your ring doorbell says, who are you? Wait a minute. You know who I am. I installed you. Prove it. Yep. Yeah. Right. So what's look, your, what's yeah. your Xbox name? Ugly pillow or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have to authenticate in some way that is, whether it's biometric or whatever, every single time nobody's ever trusted. We don't. I know. I know we don't, but, but organiz- we don't even like it. Well, at an organizational level, and, and just to be clear, it's not just like telling the name of your Xbox. It's also putting your thumb on a scanner sure. and looking into this device right. and doing these other things. Right. And then. Right. Okay. All right. All right. Then we'll go to the list. Sure. You you could come. Oh, device isn't on. Now. No. No. You know, it's like zero trust. So that is something that is really pulled from the view of the user experience at a corporation when done well, or at a at a business when done well. It's just normal login steps. You put in your password. Your phone beeps. Right. You. Put your thumb on the biometric scanner. Right. It unlocks your phone. Right. You press the button. Yes, it's me. Right. It goes back. You click the button in the browser again. Great. Right. That's enough steps to validate that you are you. Right. right. Because we've set that risk tolerance. Now you could add many, many, many more steps, but yeah. your internal customers aren't going to be very pleased with that. Right. You know. So well, on the way to the you know the the operations desk at the nuclear plant, I want it to be concentric zones of security where it's sure. getting tighter and tighter and tighter. But maybe to hit the closet, the broom closet, doesn't need to be that tight. But I, I just, I never underestimate the um, the ingenuity of people. Yeah, You build in all these controls around, let's say, a autonomous locomotive, only to find out when it derailed that somebody took duct tape and wrapped it around the throttle or whatever. I'm making stuff up, but you know, just like precise, come on. Yeah. Precisely know. correct. And humans will find the path of least resistance, much like water. Well, we'll work right? really hard to find that, right? Yeah. We just, we go through all this effort to feel out how we can contort ourselves around a system. Anyway, I, I don't want to pick on us human beings. I guess my question in the state of the state is, so you don't feel like the threats are necessarily getting 
greater because sometimes it feels like the dark hats are winning. You know, I, I feel it. It stings. I'm constantly being awarded or reminded by my apps. Hey, you know, you need to keep paying us a subscription fee just in case this idea is stolen or that thing happens or mm -hmm. whatever. On the other side, sometimes is a very small example, but a significant one in my life. It feels like the white hats might be catching up because my phone will say, you know what? I think this calls spam. Yeah. Yeah. And you can just ignore it. In fact, you could create a rule if you want. And all of a sudden, I'm not getting calls about my warranty or my, um, yeah. you know, whatever card or to support this organization or whatever, because the tool knows enough. I don't know if that's AI, but the system knows enough to say, you don't need your attention's not needed here. So they're curating lists and information from your behaviors. And this is something that was kind of like a, a trope over the course of the last four or five years, which is that uh, they start using humans as sensors, right? right? And then it's like, would you like to report this call? Would you like to report this as spam? Mm -hmm. Check these buttons, block this number. And so your phone is taking register of that and sending it back because you click authorize and sign up right. for spam protection from your, your mobile provider. And so you become the sensor to that and then start producing, effectively training the machine learning model mm. to be able to then take and justify those decisions that it's making and saying, this is a spam risk mm. or just outright blocking a call in the event that it is a validated, you know, true spam validated call. But that's really what we're doing, right? With machine learning, as we get into that, that is like a... And this is a perfect segue, by, perfect. by the way, into machine learning and, and artificial intelligence, which is something like if we're talking about state of the state, we can't really do much without going into machine yeah. learning and AI, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but humans are the ones that are plotting those points on a graph. And there's a boundary box in those graphs where we are saying, okay, machine learning model, here's a picture of a thousand cats right? Mm -hmm. Learn this picture of a thousand cats. And now mm -hmm. I'm going to show you a picture of a rabbit that looks a lot like a cat. Mm -hmm. It's still going to probably think it's a cat mm -hmm. until I tell it, no, 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 this is a rabbit because of these qualifiers. Mm -hmm. Now here's a picture of 500 or a thousand rabbits mm -hmm. Are any of these cats. Well, maybe there's a couple of them that it says, these look like cats to me. Mm -hmm. And we say, no, 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 those are still rabbits, mm -hmm. right? So as you plot those points, it builds a boundary box that determines if things are anomalous. Mm. Everything and all of cybersecurity is starting to move towards these motions. Maybe not all of it. There's mm -hmm. still human elements that will never, right. ever be eradicated, right? Uh, but as we start moving into machine learning to expedite time to response because the volume, and this gets back to data, right? right? A cybersecurity organization is only as good as the visibility or optics that it has into the telemetry that is around it. And it doesn't matter what technology you use. Who cares? Agnostic right. perspective. Right. One person or five peoples can't respond to 100,000 alerts over right. the course of an eight-hour period. Certainly not at the speed of a computer. No. Right. You can't physically go through and look at all right. those things. Right. Especially because we'd get hung up. Like, I, I started chuckling when you gave your cat and rabbit analogy. <laughs> I know people that would have... But is that really a rabbit? This looks and why do we need to put labels like this? <laughs> what if it identified as a rabbit early? And I'm not trying exactly. to be... Um, 
unsympathetic to this, you yeah. know, societal cultural thing, but you know it happens. I just I, I, I used to be a cat. And I really don't I'm, want to go down that road. More a, a, now I'm Rabbits, more of a cabbage. I'm more of a cabbage <laughs> than a, <laughs> rats. Uh, right. Wait. Right. <laughs> so, well, okay. well, that's a whole. Right. Okay. All right. We're getting. But but yes, that that is like a. So anyway, when we 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 start talking about like statistical analysis, workload, visibility, the ability to actually handle the drudge and the volume of alerts, that's when you start getting into the need to lean into computing to alleviate that capability. Right. And so we still find ourselves in a situation where vulnerabilities are introduced from that very same type of response in cybersecurity because the model makes an inaccurate assessment. Mm. But we get to stop and in the form of zero trust, potentially safeguard ourselves in an automated capacity until human validation mm. allows that connection through. I'm unsure about this mm -hmm. or I cannot accurately assess this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to quarantine a machine or stop a connection to a device until this alert that requires the human touch to mm -hmm. then train the model to then better inform it how to make those decisions in the future is concluded. Mm. So taking millions or hundreds of thousands of alerts over the course of a specified time frame, very short window, call it one shift, mm -hmm. and reducing that down into 200 mm -hmm. or 240 alerts that are validated that need some type of human response. And a team of five could address that over the course of a shift. Sure. And it's, yeah. I, I guess as they are addressing it, it's informing the machine. And so that same, some percentage of that 240 mm -hmm. is less next shift. There may be, a, you know, 60% of them go away. You may have another 240 next shift, but uh, 180 of those are different than the ones from before. And, you know, you can see how it would just start to, so when does the machine start teaching the machine? That's where we, I mean, that's where we start getting into artificial intelligence. Okay. Is it capable of aggregating its own information? Right. Like not to be reductive or anything. There's a lot that goes into machine learning yeah. and developing scripts on the back end that we then plot and like we can create anomalous behaviors. Think of it. It's a dot outside of the box. Right. All of the dots are supposed to be in this box if, I, if I'm a machine. Right. And I'm going to alert you only to things that are outside of this box. Yeah. Bing. There's an alert. Right. Right. Artificial intelligence is when you start compiling each of those trained algorithms, mm -hmm. the, the ML models, as they're called, right. and those ML models are compared against one another. And then it starts, like, I am not TensorFlow, CoLab, Jupyter, AI capable myself. Right. That, that sounds like a lot of technology. It there. is. It's a bunch of, like, crazy leading edge AI stuff. Right. Right. And that, that I mean... Computers, AI, will communicate with one another in languages we don't have a record for. Do you remember when that happened with that Facebook experiment? It did. Experiment a yeah. couple years ago? Yeah. What Do you remember how that went down? I, I don't remember it exactly, but I'll take a shot. I think it was something like, I'm sure I'm going to oversimplify and get some, so internet fact checkers fact check, but I created this system to teach another system. Mm-hmm. And we turn them loose and we observe. Let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. Very quickly, the first system continued or turned off the ability for the observers to observe while continually, continuous, 
remotely training and teaching the second system. Yes. And so they're like, on the one hand, wild success, this thing is teaching the other thing, little concerning. It said, ah, you humans don't need to eavesdrop. It was slowing down the process. And it started teaching that's it. Their, that's their word for it. Yeah. That's, it's what they were saying is that it was slowing. Was that the foundational phrase of Skynet? It was slowing down the process. Our Skynet, our, our effort to cure cancer. <laughs> I mean, Skynet, you know, that's... I hope that reality doesn't come to pass. But <laughs> anyway. They are hanging guns on on droids now, though. Oh, don't even get me started. Yeah, okay. I just, I, Let's, yeah. Okay, okay. We don't have to go. That's very dark. We don't have to go there. No, way. I just had somebody on, and we started to go there. Professor uh, Paul Wolpe, who's a, um, he's the first bioethicist at NASA. He's yeah. a tenure professor here at Emory, genius guy. We had him on for almost two hours the other day. It's a release that's coming up. Just talking about what is ethics, yeah, and then how it's deep. That was an hour, yeah, and then we got into just that fund foundational thing, and then how does it apply to technology, and um, and then you go into bioengineering, yeah, which is a whole. So we'll have them on the show Way in the fall for another stuff. thing. Weird, yeah. but it's um, you know, in like, the name of uh, uh, you know, efficiency. Yeah, I mean that's sort of the concern is how much you know uh, ability do we give the machines to make decision in the pursuit of a reward or the pursuit of its goal? Yeah, and we're we're not sure yet. He did say something though, he because he's a pretty he's an optimist, and he yeah. said, "Look, the world's greatest chess tool mm-hmm. that can absolutely beat any human being alive." Third grader will beat at checkers, like it, not not even a third. A five year old will beat at checkers. It can't. It's true. It's very specific and very focused. It can't. Yeah. And I was reminded that um, in a, a recording we just made with uh, Dr. Brendan Englet today um, uh, about um, sort of decision making and navigation in autonomous vehicles and AI. And he said, you know, we get all excited and we're making tremendous progress. And then we take the thing out of the lab and we put it into the real world and it sits there for a moment and just looks at us. And we're like, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Because when we set it up in the lab, all the walls were blue. Yeah. And now the walls aren't blue and it doesn't know what to do because it doesn't understand the way that you and I understand this is a wall. So now we realize, okay, we got to teach it what a wall is and what difference of pigmentation mean and just... There, there's so many things, and Dr. Wolpe made this point as well, that we just as human beings, just in our experience, that we don't even know subconsciously, we have resolved that we we were taught by the environment around us in a million different ways that um, we're not even sure how would it would occur to us to teach something. We just intrinsically knew it, know it in our people group. Yeah. Um, you know, why shouldn't I belch out loud? Well, in this group, it's fine. In well, that I group, think, it's not fine. I think you, you should. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Depends on your people group, That's, right? Yeah. So anyway, I, I their point is that, yes, there are things with um, unrestrained systems making decisions for um, that involve, you know, without any human agency, but that impact human beings. That's why we have an ethical group or ethics around it, and we have these teams that are working on it, but it's not going to stop the work because it, on the other side of that equation is somebody's trying to leverage a tool or AI or whatever to help me make decisions faster than a human can, 
to exploit vulnerabilities. And that's really what it is, is, is about vulnerabilities, right? Is the attackers do not have the resources that the defenders have. They have time, mm-hmm. which is always an advantage. Why do you think they don't have the resources? I just don't think most attackers are not nation states, and there's never been that kind of escalated cyber warfare before in the history of computing. Right. And the history of computing is, well, if you think about it, not all that long. Right. 65, 70 years, right. modern computing post-Pentium, right. right, is what I would consider to be modern computing. It's right. like the Pentium chip. Right. You know? That was it. The personal computer goes from being pretty cool to cool. Right. Like really cool. Right. You know? And that that there just has never been escalated cyber warfare. And if that were to actually take place, they'd just sever the the lines that are in the yeah. like boop, drop an anchor on it, a big knife, whatever, sever all connectivity, and it would go back much more to like traditional warfare. Right. And then what what probably takes place before anything on Terra, right? right? Like actually doing anything on the Earth, is we start blowing up each other's satellites with our weaponized satellites that nobody knew the other had. Right. But and then those weaponized satellites are letting out other satellites that are stored in those satellites, and that's really where cyber warfare is taking place. And you're you're an optimist. I am. Okay. Totally. And I don't think it ever gets to that point where like. That kind of escalated cyber warfare, not between nation states, but just because there's so it's almost like the nuclear arms race, right? Exactly. It's, it's there's there's so much fallout and there's so much consequence Water, that it's electricity. It's, a, it's essentially a non-starter. But you did reveal one vulnerability, I think, accidentally, and that is your lack of movie knowledge. Did you not see <laughs> that movie with our good friend Matthew Broderick in it, War Games, where they actually had the I did see computer it. run the simulation? Yes. There they go. Yeah. I, I love that. I had a great, yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> they probably hand pixeled it in. It's um, beautiful. Little Atari screen. Little Ali yeah. Sheedy. Yeah. Half our audience has no idea what we're talking about. But um, that's okay. That's okay. So watch War Games. It's a good movie. Um, AI, machine learning. Yeah. In a practical way, as it's defending against whatever the, um, you know, continuing yeah. security threats it's are. It's a tool. It's like a tricorder right now. No okay. human, no cybersecurity practitioner. No organization is going to entrust their brand, the security of their customers or their private data, their intellectual property, anything that they're working on internally completely to an AI. Nobody. We are decades and decades away from doing that. Right. Where I see humanity, and and this is maybe like a hope. Right. And yes, I am an optimist. Right. But where I see us really like leaning into AI first is medicine, the ability to like computationally score the best possible treatment based upon these qualifiers, DNA strands, symptoms, all of these things that we could put in. We're like, we could really lean into that. And then, you know, who knows if this is already taking place, but the last thing we would ever want to do is have AI solve our economic crisis Mm. (laughs) because then we do away with, or maybe we want to, but I I don't know, Right. right? But like cybersecurity and just security professionals in general, I don't see us putting that kind of trust into a real artificial intelligence. Right. Now, machine learning, absolutely. Because Mm. that is, if I can take out my tricorder and I can scan this individual, I can pull back all of the information that I need about this individual very, very quickly. Right. And then make an informed decision 
That's exactly the way I view the evolution of cybersecurity tools. And what all of the big names are really moving towards is instantaneous views into the data set, no matter how large that data set is. Right. And then giving me very clear and articulate timelines or steps or behaviors across assets and individuals and, you know, the files, the details, the hashes, down to the hash, right. the binary, right. like all the way into that to be able to say, this is malicious, I need to stop it, and I need to follow these protocols as a human to secure the organization, right? Mm. And so it's really about computational strength, things even five years ago that we could not do across data sets that are so large. And now finally getting to that horizon where the computational strength in the cloud mm -hmm. on-premises is capable of performing the flops in order to manipulate the data to give me real-time access mm. to that stuff. And uh, there's fatigue that we need tools to deal with, right? right? And it's a, be a more efficient engine, a better tire. It's, it's all of those things. And it just takes time. In a weird way, it reminds me of supply chain in that, because at, at the heart of what you've just described are chips. Yeah, it is. Yeah, And, you know, we see... Uh, we see um, global conflict right now over, among other things, resources. I'm sure it's more than that, but that's certainly one of the key things is resources. And so, yes, uh, you know, we have finite places on earth where at least today, the concentration of chip manufacturing and chip expertise mm -hmm. resides. Rare earth metals. Um, and then you've got the race for rare earth metals, mm -hmm. uh, not just as it relates to chips, but in so many industries that are related to that, space exploration, underwater yeah. mining, everything. Right, on and on, everything, everything. right? Yeah. And, um, and so if, if, the, if a predictor of winners and losers, you know, in the future, in the past, it's been energy, Yes. Right? Yeah. So oil or before that coal, before that wood, mm -hmm. fill in the blank of the, your energy source. In tomorrow, or it's today, and it's not tomorrow, it's today in the near future, it is going to be those um, chips, among other things. But that's probably so, because it's my big data set, my computational power yeah. against your data set and your computational power. It, it's like, uh, who's the guy? Who's the, who's the guy that won all the uh, gold medals? Which one? Phelps? Uh, Phelps, yeah. right? The Michael most Phelps. successful, yeah. right? 23 or something? Yeah. A lot of them. A lot. And all he had to win was by a, you know, a butterfly feather, right? I yeah. mean, just like a, just a little hair. And and that, I think that's the difference in computational power. You know, I just need to be that yeah. whatever minuscule. It is a constant, volatile back and forth over the last 20 years, ever since supercomputers were created. Right. right. Back and forth, back and forth. Who has the ability to perform more flops, right? right? Or manipulate the data faster to get to the root, you right. know? And that is a, uh, I think you're correct. I think that that's it. Now, where do we go from here? I would hope we figure out a way to steer a massive comet or meteorite into some type of orbit and slow it down to the point where we can completely eradicate the need to dig deep into the earth and do right. all the horrible things that come along with rare Right. Earth metal harvesting on, on the planet. Yeah. And somehow figure out a way to extract that in a spacefaring way. Yeah. But that's way off. Right. Even though the Japanese landed a satellite on a passing asteroid, really detonated it, 
extracted some metals and brought them back to Earth in a passing asteroid, and this was in the last two and a half years, mm -hmm. if they can do that, we can probably steer some chunks into the ocean and hopefully not cause a tsunami. But you get what I mean. Right. Yeah. Well, we could have a lot of fun if we really love conspiracy theories and say, did they really do probably that? Probably not. Yeah, this is probably this corporate <laughs> podcast. Let's not do that. It's like go sideways. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's weird. It maybe. is. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I, <laughs> It, it, one of the cool things about our show is I get to talk to so many people from industry yeah. um, that are trying to apply uh, most of them from a private sector, for example, space exploration, yeah. but also a lot of academics. And we had a few weeks ago on um, Dr. David Ginger out of the University of Washington. And his lab in particular, its particular focus is on material science. <clears throat> and he is one of a small group uh, a dozen or less of labs that's been endowed by the National Science Foundation. They were that his lab and a number of other labs are working together in um, it's a really cool conversation if you haven't had a chance to listen to it about optoelectronics and electricity or, or the field of optoelectronics, which is photons and light yeah. with um, electricity. So as simple as our screen on our smartphone and whatever. But one of the things they're spending so much time on in their material science is how do we get away from rare earth stuff? How do we innovate in a way that is minimizing um, the resources necessary for us to, um, you know, do mine or give up, uh, make ourselves more vulnerable because the resource I need is in somebody else's sovereign whatever, and I've I've elevated that resources to the to um, a level of you know critical need and such that it changes my behavior maybe as a as a country as opposed to is it readily available um, is it safe to operate yeah. when we when we stop using it does it go back into the world in a way that doesn't yeah. impact the world so it they don't have it solve, but that is a goal of the organization and they've made amazing progress. Yeah. And there's a lot, the other thing is there's a lot of unity in science, the scientific community and the oh, yeah. space community. You know, we hear about this geopolitics, but on the international space station, there are Americans there. and the Russians and the Chinese and all these groups work together fantastically. Yeah. So, and I think if, if, you know, Andy Weir's book, the Martian has told us anything. Yeah. It's that we need other scientists and rocket engineers to be able to send rockets after a cataclysmic failure yeah. on a rescue mission yeah. to, go, to go get our stranded... Did you read his next book, um, The Hail Mary Project? Uh, I have it. It's the follow-up to The Martian, correct? It is. I have it on the shelf and I have not cracked it yet, no. It is. Um, the, it, it's, the, um, it's not related to it, but it, it's sort of like next in, in, in time, so there's no connection between the two. Oh, that's too bad. It's fantastic. It, I loved The Martian. I read the book. Me too. I liked the movie. In two plane flights, I, I just consumed that book. I You'll could like not the help Hail, Hail Mary Project at least as much. I liked it much, much more. And my friend has just started reading his third book, Artemis. Artemis. Not, yeah, okay. I didn't know that, that there was a third one out there. Yeah. I got to get I gotta get caught up. But the Hail Mary, Hail Mary Project is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I, you know, look, I, I am... I. I don't know how you, I would label myself maybe a realist optimist, but it is, I love to see the tool applied for good because I know it's going to be. It's a, applied for profit too, though. Well, why not? You know, well, good is profit. Giving yeah. good the advantage. Right. Like true protection, 
doing, being able to institute systems and processes and technology and work with the people who understand all of those previous three right. sometimes comes with a, a fee. Right. And eventually, capabilities and maturities internally at an organization begin to move up the scale mm -hmm. so that it becomes a bird that leaves a nest and maybe you create your own philosophies mm -hmm. around that architectural capability in being a defender, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I'm, I'm into, I, I am all about capitalism. Mm -hmm. I love cybersecurity. I'm truly mm -hmm. passionate about this. Mm -hmm. And some of the, you know, demystifying of cybersecurity is something that I've really taken a hard stance just because of how much I interact with uh, organizations of all size, right? right. <laughs> you know, 80 employees with a massive cloud footprint, right? massive. You know, 5,000 employees just starting to migrate to the cloud right. or, you know, huge 50,000 employee organizations with huge cloud entity right. and highly dispersed environments. And there's one core thread that they all focus on. Water vapor. <laughs> yes. We were talking with Derek earlier about that. Changing water or fixing Derek, water. Derek, my producer. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you're, yeah very talented. <laughs> but, but the, you know, the idea is that there is... Um, the one core thing that they focus on is risk mm. and hygiene, right? Risk. What do you mean hygiene? What's hygiene. Mean? Like doing things the proper way, okay. understanding policy, making sure that people are aware of their own personal responsibility right. to hygiene right. for the organization, right? right? Don't make bad choices. Constantly question things. Right. Feel free, feel free to stop and not do it right. until you clarify for yourself that, well, this is strange. I thought Dave was in Atlanta. Right. Hmm. Okay. Well, right. now I, I don't know why the CFO is asking me for this list, but I better forward it on to him. Dave, are you in Atlanta? <laughs> You're not. This is the strangest thing I've ever seen. You know, like, like right. th that whole thing is, uh, I think just people get caught up in, in a lot of that. Right. Uh, cloud modernization is something that's going to come with enhanced principles. You're going to be forced to adopt policies and procedures that safeguard the entity that is actually the one that owns the hard drives mm. and the racks and the data centers mm. and the space that you're effectively leasing in the cloud. It's not right. this magical thing. Right. It is somebody else's hard drives. Right. To utilize that infrastructure, you have to sign these agreements and you have to interact in a certain way and you have to put certain protocols and safeguards in place to be able to touch that data. So again, and go going back, as technology enhances, as we become better at automating some of this stuff, as we become faster at responding to events and mitigating through what they are calling in the field now autonomic security operations, right? That's not a mouthful. That Ten, sounds easy. 10X ASO. Okay. 10, 10 X the capability. Wait a minute, what'd you just call me? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. An ASO. No, a a keep a going. Autonom I'm with you. Autonomic security operations. Yes. So one analyst, we should be able to do 10 times the work of that one analyst through effective machine learning and systems and layers of control and fail safes and checks for the way that data simply migrates through the network. Right. So behavior comes in from human. That behavior analyzed. It's anomalous because of these qualifiers. Generally, they log in from Philadelphia. For some reason, they're logging in from Spearfish, South Dakota. Right. Right. Here we come. It's it, this, this thing is taking place. I'm going to stop this connection 
Right. And I'm going to send an alert up to analyst to say, no, this is okay. I'm going to validate. Reaches out on Slack, pings the employee. No, I'm right. actually here. I'm, right. I'm visiting my mother you right. know, you know, or whatever. Okay, right. great. Fine. Green light. Right. And it goes through. And the machine learning model says, occasionally, one in 150 times, right. this user logs in from Spearfish. Right. So that that process and where they're going with autonomic security operations is to bring everything into a tool set or a single portal as often as possible. And you're starting to see this. Mm. Technologies no longer arguing with one another, use this, not that, is really disappearing. Mm. It is all of this works together. We don't seek to create friction for you. Yeah. you. You may use all of these things, and we are agnostic right. to the idea of you only being on one platform. Right. And I feel like that is going to continue to rapidly increase until there are only a handful of solutions in the next 15 to 20 years. Is that good? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure if, you know, it's just, it's always this catch 22 of is a lot of choice good? Yeah. But then how do you leverage training? How do you leverage inventory? Do you make yourself more vulnerable? Um, I love the idea of having a bunch of boutique. Um, yeah. But then also the standard, what, what you reminded me before we dive into that, what you reminded me of though, I didn't even think about it, but a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I traveled out of the country and in the past, I would have told uh, my credit card holders, um, hey, here we're traveling, here's what's going on, et cetera, yeah, right? Definitely. Yeah. So that I could use them. I went to go do that this time. In fact, I almost panicked. I was on the plane. I was like, oh, I need to let them... No, and when I got to, uh, I think it was American Express, got to the website, and I'm, you don't need to tell us. I got you. <laughs> We're able to correlate. And at first I was like, hey, yeah. that's pretty cool. That's happening. And then I was like, wait a wait second. A second. <laughs> yeah. How do you, Mr. McCall, in fact, we we suggest that you lean back your seat in 26A <laughs> a little bit further. And Go ahead and look behind you. And um, yeah, yeah. You look behind you. <laughs> if you just look up at the screen and say, hey, we appreciate it, and you're about to spill your uh, yeah. cashews, you yeah. know, like... Is that okay? I don't know if that's okay. I don't know. It was completely seamless. Whereas before, just at not that long ago, driving from here to Texas for vacation, halfway through, I get a call from, which is light years ahead of what happened 10 years before that, where they just denied your car, but I got a call from American Express or whatever. Hey, are you really in Totesuck, Arkansas? Are yeah. you really there in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, gassing up your thing? Or is that somebody else? Because six hours ago, you were in... Uh, you know, Georgia. Yeah. No, 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 it's really me. Well, then you should slow down, sir, because six hours <laughs> way too quick to get there. According to our models. According to our models. So yeah, um, right. nobody can yeah. make a, a Plymouth van go that fast <laughs> safely. But anyway, I, I, and so I see that. But you know what it kind of scares me of? I've heard, I haven't spoken to anybody that's really an expert on this. A number of people kind of touched on it, and we don't have to dwell on it here if you really don't have experience with it, but it's this idea of the um, social score that you're hearing in other parts of the world now. Are yeah. you familiar with that a yeah, little bit? Of course. Yeah. So that you're able to, you know, through the same tools that are helping protect my citizens, but I'm able to sort of correlate what's your behavior and what are you doing? And if I don't uh, approve of the behavior, I can, um, I can say not only to you, but to your connections, your circle, you know, your score because of, of the activities you're doing or the things you're saying or whatever we're frowning upon that. I'm I'm trying to be as uh, politically sensitive and 
um, non-confrontational as I can, but just the idea of that tool that can help me and protect me can also inform on me. And how do I feel about that? Do I want to, is there some um, risk I want to assume and give up versus, uh, you know, take on, but uh, freedom that I give up? I don't know. I'm libertarian in me is a little bit like, mm, I mean, can I feel you, about that? Can you put a price on safety is the, is the question, right? And can you put a price on freedom? Yeah. Can you put a, a price on choice? Please don't talk to me about seatbelts or motorcycle helmets. N none but. of that stuff. But what I'm saying is, yeah, look, it, it starts with digital currencies. Mm -hmm. And that's really how that kind of model and everything we're discussing, right? Mm -hmm. Like Amex sending you a notification through the application that you run right. and is running in the background right. on your mobile device, right. for example. Validate this purchase. Right. Okay, yes, we know that that's a secure device right. with a unique identifier, MAC address, IP address, whatever it is, the right. chip, who cares? But that device goes in, they know you pulled it out of your pocket, they may even be able to tell that the gyroscope in there spun a certain way, and the way that you retrieve your phone right. is consistent with that very same gyroscope. And they're somehow spin. partnered with my carrier, which I've given them permission to, so they know that the phone is with me, and they're able to partner with the Try. app that I use exactly. for my plane ticket. Well, it's so all they the know. agree. It's right. all the agree buttons, right. because you're just trying to get through right. that screen. That's right. You're just, you're just right. trying to click the button. I just yell at it now. Yes, I agree. <laughs> get me there. Yes. Right. <laughs> I need a new phone, right? But 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 the and that one's already set up, right? right. So so the idea is that like those are all models. That's right. all machine learning models that plot your behaviors in a statistical analysis that can then be referenced based upon certain qualifiers. But going back to your question, right? Like the it question starts, about the social. Well, I mean, scores, yeah, so. yeah, risk scoring. Right. It's no different than risk tolerance for any other organization from a compliance or a regulatory standpoint, when you're making certain um, exceptions to your risk posture, because you can lock down an organization from a cybersecurity perspective completely. Yeah. You don't let anyone in the building. You don't provision devices. You don't pay for an internet connection. You don't, right. everything is paper guarded by armed guards. You strip down naked and they cavity search you on the way out of the building. You get it, right? right? Like you could literally lock down an organization. Right. Nobody's going to work for you. Right. Nobody's going to want to be your customer. It's very strange things. Right. There's data efficacy and standards and freedom and access and the democratization of data right. that has to take place for an organization to truly grow and become modern. Right. But when we talk about like digital currencies, I think that that's where that really starts. Mm. And in the headlines recently, certainly since the last time we talked, this was, this was global news that China has digitized their currency. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. is really kicking this around. Mm. Digital dollars, mm. right? Once the currency is effectively digitized and you earn currency, every behavior, how you spend it, how the money is tracked, it's all qualified. Mm -hmm. All of that can then fall into a model. Mm. Those models can be used to rate you with what you're doing with your digital currencies, mm -hmm. right? And this gets us into a whole rabbit hole and maybe a future conversation about how cryptocurrency is not within that system or that architecture. I was thinking about hiring practices. Do I hire somebody that has a, that that answered their, uh, you know, whatever their profile is, but I can pull up through a service how much money they spent on healthcare? Yeah. 
how much, how many times they spend at a hospital or a clinic or whatever, you know, what are these things that they haven't, um, that they're protected to hear from having to disclose, but I'm able to backdoor this information. I know that there are, um, my organization doesn't do it, but I know there are organizations out there that employ groups to scrub or, or to uh, search through social media. How do you, what do you post on? What do you talk about? What Certainly. do you know? All yeah. These sorts of things. And, um, and some of that gets called into courts and whatever. We're still trying to figure it out because the technology way outpaces um, legislation and these other things. But I, I don't know. It's a, it's a curious conundrum. Social scoring, you know, and at what point can I bribe somebody with something that they need to enhance my social score to make sure that my kids get into better schools and all of these other things, right? right? And has social scoring always been there and now we're just tracking it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but that's kind of that reminds me of what Professor Wolpe was saying, which was um, he said, do you know when plagiarism was invented? Really? No, I would love to know that. He said, um, really, it was in the uh, 17th century. Interesting. I was like, you got to be kidding me. He said, no, up to that point, um, for all intents and purposes, if you took Socrates words or Aristotle's words and made them your own and communicated them, the great Greek thinkers and many like them in the school would think... My mission here is done. I have implanted my ideas in you, and you're going forth with them. Fascinating. And the reason why it changed in the 17th century was because of technology. Do you know what the technology was? Printing press. The printing press. And specifically why the technology changed it. Because you could monetize it. You could take all that knowledge, codify it as yours, put it in a binder and yeah. then sell it and you make money. So now I'm taking your effort and I'm na- I'm making in a very specific way money. Yeah. So that's one form of plagiarism. And that was great all the way up until the home computer. But that sort of plagiarism was very purposeful. You had to be very specific. There was a lot of effort. You know, you had to read the Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever it was and type and pay and dropping do in the little all these other things, right? It, yeah. Making a it was thing. a lot of work to <laughs> Too do. Too much. Today, <laughs> yeah. Today you copy. can just copy and paste. It's comp- you know, like it's so easy to just thwart it. And even more than that, you could take a tool that does text, it'll ingest the text, and then you tell it, make this plagiarism proof. In in, in other words, um, I I want you to keep the big idea that's communicated in this article or in this whatever, and I want you to turn it into an article that I can author that changes the words that will pass a quick scrutiny of, wait a minute, did you just copy and paste this? No, no, no. No. Different synonyms. I pulled up a thor- thesaurus and a soccer tab. I, I, had, I came by independent you know, <laughs> thought, these yeah. ideas, and it wrote a whole new article, but it was informed the machine or the AI was able to read this, yeah. convert it into saying the same thing but different words, and it will pass the checker that says whether you plagiarize or something. It's like this war, in the, and it's a huge thing in the world of academia. I mean... It sounds like a lot of wasted effort to me, you know, but but because all information, I mean, I, mean, I all, go to college in the first place. It's no, no. I mean, college is a great thing. <laughs> go, go to school. Right. That that experience is wonderful. But, yeah. you know, all 12 years of it. Yeah. Amazing. Lots of people go to college right. for seven years. They're right. called doctors. Right. You know, <laughs> like, but that is like a. Oh, I don't have any 
PHs or DRs after mine but, yeah. or in front of mine. But me either. And but yeah. I, I guess kind of getting this back on track. So as you're is you know AI and machine learning helping us with the uh, the very real threats, social scoring. You know, that's I, a deep one. Yeah, I just think that institute. You know, I don't think it happens in the U.S. anytime soon. Yeah, that's what I well, let's just let's that, that we know of. So let's talk about as we get ready to wrap up. Yeah, what are some sexy new things yeah. for the white hats? Let's not talk about the black hats. Let's sure. talk about the white hats. So what we're seeing is like so. Let's take it back twenty years, right? Okay. Like the security has been focusing on security information and event management platforms. And Say that again. Cybersecurity has right. been rooted in the concept of the SIM. Have you okay. heard of the SIM? Security the, Information Event Management Platform, okay. S-I-E-M. Okay. And every organization that has fiduciary responsibilities right. to clients, stakeholders, customers, whatever it is, right. generally is governed by some type of regulatory body that mandates that they have certain security protocols that follow a checklist with controls in place, or they have to store the data for a certain length of time. So in the event that there is something that takes place, blah, 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 blah. Right. So they're required to do these things. And that bred this part of cybersecurity that's like, I got a great idea. All of these technology investments and these things that you have need to go into one place. And that one place needs to have some logic behind it, code, mm -hmm. that will take behaviors or alarms and alerts from all of these investments, your firewall, your proxy, the antivirus software that you're running. Now it's like XDR, MDR, EDR, all like- All the things, DRs. Buzz, buzz, buzz. Right. Right, like detection and response, all this stuff. And I we mean, my company that I work for really does this stuff with humans, right. with machine learning, and it's not glamorous. Right. Like they may it's hard work, right? right? It really is. Uh, but anyway, the security information event management, SIMS, put it all in one place, take some code and analyze the data that's moving into this centralized repository and storing things costs you money because hard drives cost money and electrons cost money and all of these things, right? right? But one place and the outcome should be we can very quickly analyze all of this collected data and pinpoint something that is anomalous, hmm. right? This is an anomaly. All of the SIMs, so Dell SecureWorks, IBM QRadar, right. right? Like big companies that are now what I would consider to be very legacy, and, and they would argue with you because right. their platforms are adopted by some of the largest companies on the planet right. and the largest nation states on the planet, et cetera, right. et cetera, right? But their technologies are now starting to be compressed into more nimble, faster, cloud-native, easy-to-deploy, software-as-a-service, browser-accessible, mobile right. functionalities that allow you to then take those very same investments from the cloud, other technologies born in the cloud, they're no longer things sitting on premises mm -hmm. or a hybrid of that, mm -hmm. all of the stuff on premises and I'm starting to move to the cloud, right? Mm. But it's starting to move into cloud native SIMs and you're leveraging the compute strength and the storage capabilities of much larger companies to offset the cost of building all of that stuff internally. Mm. And so where we're going with this new stuff, this antiquated thought of like collect all the data, put all of the things in there became this analysis requirement for compute to be able to get to root of all of this data. Then it started changing into behavioral heuristics around 
the way that this data is aggregated. So if-then statements, right? Like these events happen, they're anomalous, we're creating suspicions now as opposed to validated anomalies. Mm. So the suspicion may have an anomaly tied to it. We can't validate the anomaly, but there's enough here to say this probably requires your attention, mm. right? Well, now because of the speed with which we can aggregate data, and this goes back to our previous point of the speed with which we can compute those massive sets of data mm -hmm. are now giving us the ability not to aggregate logs, which is just files that are generated from your layered security controls. Your investments generate logs. The SIM stores the logs. The SIM compares those logs against one another for anomalies. Mm -hmm. Now we are able to actually scrape the files and the binaries and the hashes from inside the data to right. be able to effectively tell if there is any single instance or two-off instance or something that's fuzzy out there in the massive data sets. So every behavior, every file, every click generates some type of hash. Mm -hmm. An executable that's running, uh, so a program, mm -hmm. if it's completely unique or the first time we've ever seen that in the environment, or it's something that's been lying dormant and obfuscated by other controls or injected via like truly malicious hacker style stuff. Right. White hats may miss those things, even with the most advanced next gen controls in place. Right. But now we have tools like, like something that I'm really, really hot on right now. Am I okay to say a brand? Yeah, sure. Oh, Stairwell. Okay. This company is amazing. They were rogue for a while. It's going to actually probably turn cybersecurity on its ear. I've been wrong before. Right. But this stuff is really, really cool. I don't get a spiff or anything, right. by the way. Okay. I, don't, I don't care. That's but, okay. but, but like this, they are looking at binaries and hashes and able to tell the in-betweens of those strings of, of alphanumeric characters when we're classifying a hash to be able to automatically identify a behavior or a process or a binary down to the ones and zeros a completely unique identifier in the environment, and it does it real time. It, it almost sounds like magic. I mean, that's what Arthur C. Clarke says, something to the effect of any technology that's sufficiently advanced appears to the people that are using it as if it's magic. I, I see everything in the, in the cybersecurity space, at least in terms of like those top shelf brands. Right. I don't claim to understand everything that's foolish. Right. I learn every day. Right. If you're not learning, you're dying. Right. right. And, and I really seek this stuff out. But when I first saw this, it was basically indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. Because effectively deployed, it is like a silver bullet right. to a lycanthrope. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it really is that powerful to be able to instantly see on an asset something that is completely unique regardless of the detection methodology that is supposed to be sitting on top of it and for us to be able to take that unique identifier and immediately evaluate it right. across all this wealth of humanity's threat intelligence that is actively aggregated and then make a determination as a defender to quarantine that machine or that process or whatever it is, right. is incredibly powerful. And they will not, on the attacker side, the White Hats will have the advantage right. until that tool is accessible by the black hats and right. can be deconstructed so right. as to bypass it. Right. Got to create another.
Yeah. And another. Yeah. And another. Like, right? like imitation game. You know, it, that's right. My brain, I don't know how it does these uh, correlations. I'm probably going to lose the audience if we haven't lost them already right here. But Sorry. It reminds Sorry, yeah. me of My Cousin Vinny. Yeah. Do you ever see that movie, My Cousin Vinny? Of course. Where yeah. Ralph Macchio's Ralph character yeah. is talking to his friend and said, the worst thing on the planet could be you're a magician trying to fool kids. And the Gambinos are in the audience saying, no, it's in his pocket. No, it's it. like you can't get a single trick out. That's Hold so funny. on. You know, it's right there. You like, yeah. you just killed an industry and nobody's going to be right. It's so funny. I didn't kill an industry. Yeah. But I, but I mean, that's that kind of idea. And that's what I you can't hope for around right. something that is um, unsafe. Yeah. That is going to cause uh, harm that we've got it, you know. At least for a little while, that the black, the, the white hats, you know, get some breathing room to say, hold on, you know, we uh, uh, we can see, we can infer, we we can we can draw enough from what we're seeing to tell you pretty definitively, this is, you know, to stop it before it even gets, before you even have to. It sounds like what you're saying before the a person has to make a decision. The tool is able to say, nope, yeah, can't even get any momentum. It, I mean, well, it's not powerful enough. It could. Again, everything within limitations. Imagine if you, for every 10 minutes your business was down because a process was killed on a critical <clears throat> server, that you lost $10 million. Yeah, that's a problem. Would you, yes, would you want a technology erroneously making that decision, or would you prefer it to handle the volume? to send it to a human right. which would make that informed decision. And right. you may delay the the response to the attack by six or seven minutes, right. nine minutes, whatever right. it is. But that is well within the limitations of response right? because, I mean, right. this is still just humans attacking right. humans, right. you know? <laughs> well, look, we like, I've said many times yeah. when I talk to AI people, yeah. I've yet... To have enough, and I love technology. I love the tools. Yeah, but I've yet to feel comfortable about getting on an airplane, a modern airliner that does not need a human being in it. Oh, I wouldn't. No, I want Sully in there just in yeah, case. Yeah, Sully. <clears throat> right. Exactly. Just in case. But Sully still uses that tool. Sure. That helps him to navigate every runway so that he's not confused the mm -hmm. computer doesn't care it's fault you know it's at a strange first time airport it's got it it's monitoring the 80,000 systems on that plane throughout those engines yeah it's it can literally provide the glide slope it can do everything you need to take off land handle every weather perfect it, perfect yeah. or, or perfectly and yet I still want a cup, even if it's a little bit more expensive of a ticket for me, maybe not my grandkids, but for me, I still want those humans in there. A water landing. Yeah. To just, yeah. if nothing else, Keep it's a placebo that makes me feel sure. good. But, uh, sure. um, but in the, I mean, that was not a placebo analysis. Right. But yes, that's perfectly stated, actually. And that is the very same restraint that cybersecurity professionals show the decisions that they make about their organizations. And they should. Right. You should always be a skeptic when it right. when it comes to new technologies, right? Right. They they will improve our lives, potentially. Right. But skepticism's healthy. So do you think we're really making a difference with these things? Because what makes here's here's why. Yeah. I asked that. 
And I, I ask myself these things because I'm a big believer of tech, not just how we're talking about it here in, um, mm-hmm. you know, technology creates vulnerabilities. And so we need to have tools to, you know, to do that, to, to protect ourselves, whether it's from ourselves or from uh, people that want to exploit it, which they've been doing it throughout all of history. Um, but it's on my drive to work today, yeah. I passed hundreds, if not uh, a thousand or more vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no wrecks on the side of the road. I couldn't tell you how many passed or what their colors were. I, I don't remember. What I do remember is the accident or the tragedy or whatever. And so it, it puts a, that's my reptile brain evolving over millennia to say, hey, you need to pay attention to this outlier, this anomaly, because it could eat you or your family or whatever, right? Sure. So it's just hardwired in my amygdala to know that. Yeah. So it captures my imagination. What doesn't is that my brain's processed 800 million things across and none of them rise to a threat level. So it dismisses them. And so I don't, I don't think in the context of you really are making a difference because we filtered out all of these things. All we hear about is the big breaches or the big risk or the big threat. From your perspective, I know you're in industry, but but just from your perspective, whether it's your organization, specifically the industry in general, are we? Do you feel like we're we're uh, protecting ourselves more and more through these tools? Yes. All right. And here's why: the I interact with CISOs directors of cybersecurity, CIOs, CTOs, very, very privileged position and, and good at what I do. Right. Right. Uh, I've only recently come into uh, to actually being confident in that because I'm told that. Right. Right? Right? right. Again, reinforcement. Right. You're good at what you do. But but honestly, all of the concerns across these people who are responsible for safeguarding their organizations, their people, their brand, finances, the future of mm-hmm some of these young workers who started these companies, right? Like the ones who are really good and care. Mm -hmm. The things that they care about the most are the ones that they're missing, the Mm -hmm. events that they're missing, the ones that are assumed is safe, Mm -hmm. the ones that are let through the wall because it's a normal behavior or whatever it is. Right. And only now, I think in the last five years probably, do we actually have, and not to keep going back to this, but the capability Mm. to visualize the data in effective ways, and furthermore, analyze it in the event that I have a suspicion. Mm -hmm. And that's the really ingenious thing about the way that we've built these cybersecurity systems is there's not a hard-coded reliance Mm -hmm. on the tech. Sure, the tech's good. It's great. But it really boils down to effective defenders, effective analysts, effective people who understand what an anomalous behavior looks like or something that is a qualifier for investigation, right? Mm -hmm. Or that is efficiently rolling out new technologies and environments so as to mitigate those vulnerabilities and then properly runs assessments of those new deployments so as to close any gaps and then takes the time to reinforce best practices across the user base to ensure that there's less risk, less posture. Mm. It's a constant game, Mm -hmm. but do I feel that we're making strides in the right direction? Absolutely. I see it every day, right? right? 
will there uh, suddenly be this event horizon where there's no longer risk, where there's no longer malfeasance, where people aren't getting fleeced for millions of dollars because their organization's locked out from accessing their data or their production systems? No, probably not. Uh, and, And unfortunately, when it starts to get to the point where and this happens. It kind of undulates back and forth, right? But when it starts to get to the point where the technology is capable of alerting us to malfeasance in very effective ways, it starts to revert back to human espionage sure, and, and ways of mitigating those controls <clears throat> in a physical capacity because, thankfully, a computer can't get off your desk and right. walk down the hallway. Not yet. Not yet. But it goes back and forth. Right. You know? So I don't know if that's really an optimistic, optimistic way to close it out, but I can tell you that I'm confident that where we're going right. is a state where it's going to become increasingly more and more and more difficult or require more and more ingenuity and resources to bypass the controls that are safeguarding us. Right. I love it. Yeah. Hey, if somebody wants to listen to the types of things that you listen to that um, yeah. inform you, what are some of the podcasts or some of the things you read? Oh man, I love I love uh, all of Dr. Anton Shivakin's work. Okay, and uh, he is widely regarded as the godfather of SIM. Okay, uh, he currently works for Google, and he's ultimately responsible for that philosophical change that's taking place at Google and turning them into a security company. Perfect. Uh, one of my mentors frequents a lot of like uh, really cool cybersecurity uh, podcasts. His name is Eric Foster. Mm. Uh, he's president of Cyderis. Mm. Um, I listen to a lot of like startup hustle and technology hustle folks. There's some great people mentioned in Kansas, right? Like John Bucard out there just started a place called Tesseract Ventures. Mm. And they're doing some really, really cool stuff. Oh, like, we need to have them on the show. Oh, dude, his stuff's awesome. Like, I, I asked him to build me a mech suit, and he was like, eventually. <laughs> you know, it's like, he's like, maybe. Right now he's working on like full smart spaces and super right. cool tracking stuff. Right. And like, if you really want to get into AI, uh, AIML, right. that'd be a guy to talk to for sure. But there's a lot out there. Right. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, Jeremy Hale, thanks for coming on the show. Mr. McCall, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, if you've enjoyed the program, please like, share, subscribe, and comment. And we'll see you next time on the QTS Experience. We'll see you, everybody.